Welcome back to Gaming with Gage, your podcast for role-playing games and the periphery. Thanks for being here. And thank you so much to everyone who purchased the Savage Guide to Dinosaurs. With your support, we've reached the silver tier for a best-selling product, and that's incredible. If you haven't checked it out, you can find the link in our show notes or go to DriveThruRPG and search A Savage Guide to Dinosaurs. This week, we continue our topic episodes chatting about session and convention preparation with Chris Hussey. Listeners will remember Chris from last season, but he also hosts The Adventures of Young and Hull, a Deadlands Reloaded actual play podcast. Chris is one of the kindest people I've ever met, and one of my favorite people to talk about gaming with, so I was so happy to have him back on the show. You can find out more about his show at youngandhult.com. As always, we ask that you rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And with all of that out of the way, let's jump into session and con prep with Chris Hussey. The only thing I can remember from your intro I did last time was a right sexy man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? That's still, I think that's still valid. Um, I'll, I, I'll take I it. I agree. I've seen the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and host of the Young and Holt podcast, which is on the Fear the Boot uh, AP stream. Yes. For people who are looking for it, as well as... I don't know. You have your fingers in everything. Yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of became. I mean, I'm still technically a host on Fear the Boot, but I, I've, I've become this. I, I used the term initially, podcast vagabond, and then somebody I think told me, <laughs> no, no, be podcast journeyman instead because it just sounds better, and I do kind of like that better. And then it seems that I get involved in too many things, and then I move on to other things. So you know, I don't know. It's and you've kind of upgraded from Fear the Boot to Gamer's Table. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, Eric, he's a good guy. And the, they, there is something, certainly Fear the Boot has its own level of magic, no doubt about it, as far as, you know, what they do, what the advice they convey, the people that they are. There is also right. something distinctive about gamers table and it's hard to put my finger on it he found he found his he found his niche within a niche and it's mm-hmm. it's it has served them very well i feel like fear the boot is like listening to smart people talk about gaming and gamers table is like you're talking gaming with your friends yeah is the the quick explanation between them could you could you say could you get away with saying blue collar gaming would that be would that be accurate i don't even know that it's necessarily blue collar i just feel like there's a comfort level there Mm-hmm. And a rawness. Yes, yes, but a, but a an almost inoffensive rawness. I mean, certainly someone's going to be offended by it because mm-hmm. everyone has to be offended by something. But it is a it's a comfortable rawness, uh, a pleasant rawness in a certain way. Yeah, they feel real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we're not here to do. talk about gamers table. <laughs> if you want to if you want to listen to gamers table, go listen to gamers table. I'll be on the. Oh, actually, this this episode doesn't come out till May. I will have been on an episode because nice. <laughs> I have my first recording coming up. Oh, good for you! I'm excited. I hope you're there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, we yeah we have we'll have to make sure that that happens because I've done one, and and I know that Eric yeah he has the ability to do multiple remotes and all that. So we absolutely should do that. We'll have to make him do that. Absolutely, and it'll be fun. <laughs> but we're talking about session prep and then after we do a little bit about session prep i do want to pick your brain quickly about con prep Mm -hmm. just because i personally have never been to a convention or run at a convention so you'll have a kind of a unique perspective at least on this episode about that 
But session prep, you brought that up to me. You're like, hey, let's talk about session prep. And I am in the middle of prepping not only sessions, but a brand new campaign. So it was very near and dear to my heart at the moment. Oh, wow. You know, for me, I mean, everybody is, of course, different in how they approach this. Um, You know, because you do have... You know, your extensive note makers, you have your people who just write down some sort of raw concept, uh, like a sentence or two tops, and then go with it and have that ability to make it work. I feel that I fall somewhere in the middle ground. I used to be someone who did a tremendous amount of session prep, a lot of note writing, uh, a lot of detailing. I found over the years that it wasn't it wasn't as needed as I thought it would be. There are certain aspects that I think will never change when it comes to that. It's very, very hard for me to go into to go into any sort of gaming session, even with a, with people that I'm that I game with on a consistent basis, and be totally empty as far as you know what I've brought to the table, and then you know make it up as it happens. I can't, I can't do that. And I think I think that that is I think that type of person is is more is rare they're just they're not as common i don't know like what do i do is that what we're going after here like what what do i personally do when it comes to session prep yeah what do you do and i'll tell you what i do okay and then i'll tell you that you're wrong and my way is better and then you'll say (laughs) it'll work it's gonna be great (laughs) for me it has a lot to do with if i break it down into overall adventures uh, and I, as long as we mention Young and Hold, we'll pick on Young and Hold. So <laughs> where where we were in recording, um, Young and Hold are in Denver. Uh, as far as where the episodes are right now being released, of course, this come out in May. So you'll actually be, this will be probably getting close to that time when it would uh, be coming up to Denver. So we're recording this stuff now. So going into here, into Denver, I knew that there were essentially three specific things that were going to happen while they were there. Three overarching main things. I needed to detail out enough of those so that I knew the general direction that it was going to go. Like, here's the general events that are probably going to happen in regards to this particular arc, you know, as I'm typing on, as I'm typing in my Google document. And then from there, I have to break things down a little further, get into... Uh, certain unique aspects of what's going to happen, mostly NPCs. And then from there, taking those NPCs, and if they're important, statting them out. For example, there there's some baddies who have some particular visual aspects about them. I needed to to stat those ones out specifically because I knew that eventually, somehow, they were going to encounter them. Then it becomes sort of a loose, here's the way I envision it sort of thing. And I try to do my best to make sure that for all of these little highlights within this certain plot arc point, that there's many paths that can get you there. You know what I mean? So I can hopefully try and avoid any sort of railroad aspect to it. Uh, I don't, you're never going to fully get away from that, I don't, I don't think. But here's the sequence of things that need to happen or that I feel need to happen, but they can occur in almost any order. And... It's up to me to be make sure that I'm familiar enough with it so that should it not work out that way, then I can shuffle things around. So they decided to do this first, but then took this angle, which wasn't something I was thinking of. Okay, so mentally, how does this relate to this? 
and then mentally shuffle these things around and make adjustments, you know, on the fly, which absolutely happened. There was something that they did in one of the sessions that affected both the second and third major plot points where I had to do almost a complete rewrite in the, the intervening week uh, between uh, sessions because they did something I did not expect them to do as players will do. As they always, uh, as they always to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, you know, and honestly, in the end, as often happens, it worked out better than what my own vision was. I, you know, I'd visualized how this was all going to go in my head. They threw me this curveball and, you know, I had to think, okay, how is, how does this cascade down from that decision? And then as I was making notes on that cascade effect, realizing, hmm, this actually is kind of better. I kind of like the way this is going. I don't know if this is necessarily so much related to session prep, but I think it's just a good GM practice is to never be overly emotional attached to what it is you want to try and accomplish because you're never really going to fully get your way. That hinders you from enjoyment of what's actually happening because there's always enjoyment to be found in what's actually happening. If that makes any sense whatsoever. No, it makes perfect sense. No, I completely understand what you're talking about. It's actually what moved my prep style. Because when I started prepping my first game, I was very much... I had note cards for NPCs <laughs> that I could pull out, like index cards that had the stats on them. And I had everything planned out down to like what the tactics were going to do on the approach. And it was all about them like storming a guard tower. And then one of them was a werebear and rolled an at 20 on an athletics and climbed to the top of the guard tower and started mauling his way down. Nice. So, you know, right, right away, it's like nothing that I planned for really matters anymore. <laughs> and then as I started running more and more, I started looking for advice in the fandom. And ETU, East Texas University, has this in their core book. And I've heard it a bunch of other places. It seemed to be one of the most resounding things I was hearing and I have adopted, which is for session specifically, who, what, where, when, why. Oh, sure. It's literally a line of who, a line of what, and that's the start prep. Uh, and then I've, I do that bare bones and then I add probably three to four sentences of descriptors uh, for the opening and for any scene that's going to come up in that session. Like one to two lines of description because I find doing two seconds of flowery language. Not too much because gosh knows we've all heard the stories about GMs overdoing this. Um, <laughs> but two lines of prose as they enter a new scene can do so much for immersion. And that is pretty much my basics now for session prep. You know, you and I are on a podcast together, so Savage Worlds is going to come up. <laughs> yes, it is. Savage Worlds plot point campaigns have done so much to teach me about set. This isn't so much session as campaign um, pacing. And especially, I'm thinking of Degrees of Horror for ETU, but other ones as well. The amount of space that these plot point campaigns leave in between major events gives you an idea of how you can keep stuff that's relevant and plot relevant and mega plot relevant and still give tons of room to players. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's campaign stuff, so that's a little different. But. That's a really interesting approach, though, and is similar, I guess, is similar to what I described, but I guess in my description of what I did involved just a hell of a lot more text. And so, you know, for, for good or ill, I, I don't know. And I, I think I'll just for, for argument's sake, take a, a little bit of counterpoint when it comes to some of the pros and some of the box text. And I, and, and I'll take it only because I'm, I'm a fan of box text <laughs> uh, because a, 
I think is part partly the writer in me, and it allows me to have a little bit more creative fun with it. And I like the idea of more scripted immersion if it makes sense. You know, not every room you're going to walk into is going to, of course, have that sort of scripted immersion to it. But I like being able to have the opportunity to do that and do that to the right amount of extent that feels good for me only because I think that it does work. And I don't know, I could be completely and utterly personally biased as far as I think, because I know for, for me, it always works. So like if a GM starts reading like a lot of box text, I'm, I'm way in, I am so into what's going on. I think that it does work. I think the problem is when you're doing prep, you are alone and you are choosing what to shine a spotlight on. Yes. So your options become one of two things, either make your best guess. And if you're wrong, I think that's when it gets very, very boring for a player. You're talking all of, you know, like the, the the big joke of like this fully fleshed out NPC in town and they ignore it to go over to the plywood <laughs> NPC that you just came up with a name for. Yep. And so I think that you can do that or what you can set up the, like I said, the bare bones and then let your players interact with the world and then come up with it on the fly. Or you can prep everything out and be ready for everywhere the players go, which to me just sounds like insanity. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's exhausting. It can be just utterly exhausting to, to go through that. And in a lot of ways you could end up wasting a lot of stuff, stuff that they oh, yeah. might never see. If there was something cool in town a that you did that they did not encounter at all, you know, you better hope that that's usable in town B because otherwise, yeah, you just wasted an hour and a half of writing time in your adventure and which could have been better spent, you know, somewhere else. I know for me, I'm sitting here as we've been talking, I've been thinking to myself, like, what, what are some aspects of session prep that I just always feel I have to have no matter what? I, I think it has always been, if not a real list, then a mental list of names. Uh, because Oh, yeah, definitely. I always try in my games to make the world seem as real as possible. And I think that this is part of the reason why it also, I like box text so much when they go and talk to an NPC that, you know, I know is unimportant. Um, I want to a have a name right away for that guy. And I want to create details about this NPC's life that at least create the illusion that maybe this NPC might be important. You know, so mm -hmm. whether it's they have trouble with their spouse or they're complaining if it's an innkeeper or they're complaining because a certain supply truck hasn't shown up or or supply wagon, I guess, um, <laughs> or, you know, something else is happening with, you know, a local union that's giving them trouble or something, but something that seems real world and relatable that, oh, this is not just the innkeeper that I can ask three standard questions of and then move on. You know, this is this is like an actual person I'm talking to here and having that list of names, those personality quirks or problems that make them seem real uh, is has always been something that's been very important to me to have. And that makes sense. Something that I've started doing, and this could be a whole nother topic of like how to run pre-written pre adventures. But what I started doing when I run a pre-written campaign is going into the book uh, way further <clears throat> and finding any NPC that's going to come up. And start introducing them as the filler NPCs like, oh, I go into town and I see a woman. I want to go talk to the first woman I find it. And it's like, all right, let me find the, the woman whose husband's actually going to get possessed and become a murderer in season three. So that when that actually, when that scene comes up, you're like, Nancy, I know Nancy. <laughs> yeah. 
which helps with a centralized location campaign. Absolutely. And it does, it does help tie the world together a bit tighter that, you know, that this is a real thing. So yeah. nuts and bolts, pen on paper. Are you writing up blocks and blocks of text? Not necessarily. It's, it comes down. I used to, I used to, I used to be over an amount of, of text, but now it has, it has shrunk considerably to being some general guidelines. Like this is generally what's supposed to happen. Here's how this ceremony might play out. Here's this person's goals, that kind of thing. The only time I'll ever get more detailed specific is if it's from a mechanical standpoint and I want to make sure that it works properly and it's important. So picking on Young and Hold again, there was a particular rich, there was a particular ritual that was going to happen. It ended up not happening because of decisions that they made, but I had detailed out how many rounds this ritual was going to take, what was involved in each round, what had to happen, these kinds of things, because it was mechanically important. And I wanted to make sure that if and when this hap happened, that it would flow properly. And I wasn't like changing my mind halfway through about certain things. That said, when it comes to, and this is now, this is where I get to, you know, gush on Savage Worlds a little bit, but it's true. <laughs> it's true even for other game systems. When they're encountering NPCs or dealing with NPCs that I have not statted out, I know that with Savage Worlds, I can default to everything being a D6. You know, mm -hmm. can I always just roll a D6 and it's that easy for me to, oh, you're going to gamble with this guy? Okay, well, he has no gambling. I have no idea if this guy has gambling skill. Uh, yes, he does. It's a D6. Or no, I'm just going to pretend this guy sucks at gambling. Okay, he has a D4. You know, that kind of thing. And it's very easy to make that adjustment. And then, but if it's not that system, I've even still used that same tactic. And we used to call it way back in the day, um, we used to call it just roll and argue. And so you'd roll that D20. And then you would argue if you needed to about whether or not the roll was high enough. Because if it's high, <laughs> if it was, you know, you don't even bother need to figure out the modifiers. Okay, so if I roll it and it comes up a 17, regardless of what it is, that's probably a success. You know, you roll it, oh, it's a five, that's probably a failure. Oh, it's a 12? Um, okay, let's argue about this. And if we need to actually figure out the pluses and minuses, let's do that. But if you feel compelled to roll that die, then just roll and argue about it later if you need to. And most of the time, you, most of the time you don't need to because the number will tell you one way or the other which way to take it if that's what you're relying on it to do. And I don't have any problem doing that. You know, I don't mind letting letting that random chance dictate for me which way a certain thing may go. I kind of like that in some in some sense. It's fun. You know, I mean, outside of the normal usage in like combat and whatnot. Yeah, I like it. It's it can be terrifying. <laughs> well, absolutely. So most of my jamming recently, except for this new campaign I'm about to launch, is has been actual plays. And you do an actual play too. So how does your session prep change when you're doing an AP versus a home game? Because I know mine is very different. But I also think I record APs differently than a lot of people. I, th I think I take a little more control away from my players than most people probably would consider the quote-unquote like right way or the correct way. Really? Oh, nice. Yeah, I have conversations where I'm like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking. What do you guys think? Let's have a conversation before we sit down and be on the same page before we start. Most of the people who record are married, have jobs, have kids. It's like, we can't just go back and re-record if something goes completely <laughs> sideways. <laughs> um, in all honesty, there has only been maybe 
two or three times in the entirety of since we've been doing Young and Holt, and so that you know it's well over well over a year that I have said something before we sat down to record, and it's only been in the in the sense of this is what I'm thinking this encounter is going to be like in a, in the sense of whether you listen to it or not doesn't matter but they rescued this one person <laughs> they rescued this one person named Regina from being hung or hanged um on the gallows so before we sat down to run this particular whole combat encounter i said just so you guys know i'm thinking that this is going to be very action-packed, very cinematic in its presentation. So just so you guys know where I'm coming from, and I want you to go ahead and feel that you can behave in that way. So don't 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 get stuck in realism. Let's let's be stuck in movieism on how we want to make this or how this goes. Because however it goes, it's gonna go. You know, there was no guarantee that she was going to be rescued or any of those things. And so had it gone poorly then it would have gone poorly and things would have been bad or whatever. But I've never, and I've actually been kind of proud of this in a certain sense that the gameplay that's in our AP is the gameplay that actually happens. We may have done like a couple of like interesting flashback scenes, but I feel that we might have done those types of scenes anyway. How they show up, how they end up showing up in the AP, you know, remains to be seen. But uh, we've never done anything where like, Hey, let's let's roll that back and let's redo that. We've you know what what you hear is what actually happens at the table. There isn't any if there's anything that's ever taken out, it's usually like if there was a tense scene and we maybe broke it up with a joke or whatever, but then in the editing process I realize if we put this joke in here, it's just really breaking the flow of the story or of how everything's proceeding. I'm gonna take out that joke. You no, know, the, the gameplay that we do is the gameplay that uh, shows up in the AP, and it's probably how it would have existed uh, even if we hadn't been recording. And I think that's what most people would assume is like the correct way to do it, which is why I said I don't think I necessarily <laughs> do it. What most people would consider to be the correct way. And I'm like, I'm proud for you. I did, the only time we had to re-record, this is actually just a quick funny uh, story. So who's Agatha? Agatha is played by my wife, Amanda. And we did record an episode where basically the plot went right and she went i think i might be suffering from a psych like a psychological break and i was like you're not gonna follow her and i'm like N and she was like no i'm gonna go back and i think i'm gonna try and schedule an appointment with the school counselor and i i paused the recording and i took my headphones off and i said so when we had a session zero and you said that this was the world you wanted that's what we're playing if this is what you want to do, if this, this going back to school and talking to the council, if this is the story we're going to be telling, I'm fine. We can totally do that. I wasn't prepared for any of that. Um, and my wife doesn't have a great memory. So she was like, oh, right. We talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> and also she has the problem being like, well, I wouldn't do that. And it's like, well, my love, you would not be an adventurer. <laughs> you're also not someone who's a magical fairy so yeah exactly you're, you're, you're magical in your own way just not in the way of in this game yeah so that was the only time where i like actually stopped recording i was like let's touch base because if it's going this far left that's fine i need to know because all of my notes are trash and this is going to be a very different show yeah um, yeah we're going to be running all over the place in tangents and Topic episodes are newer. We haven't done them since season one. So people just have to get used to the new format <laughs> and trying to find a new format. And if you hate it, just let us know and just blame me. Don't blame Chris because Chris no. is the best. 
Absolutely. <laughs> blame, blame me. I don't mind getting blamed. Things. It happens a lot. So. Um, so does your prep process look differently, though, when you're doing like the AP than when you're doing a home game? No, I think my prep process is the same. Um, I try to, I don't know, I just, I've never felt, I've never felt compelled to do things differently. You know, and like we were talking about before we started recording, certainly since doing the AP, I think that my game mastering style has changed for the better. And I'm, I'm actually going to be able to test this because by the time this airs, I will be, I will have sat down with hopefully more than once a new local group. And I'm looking forward to see if the things that I have learned since editing myself and realizing the good things and the bad things that I do when I GM, um, if I've corrected those problems and am able to take that to a different group and see how they respond. Because there is a certain comfortableness with Brent and Brad because we gamed what I think maybe five years prior to actually recording this. So we, we, we knew each other's styles. We knew each other's approaches. We'd already run with me as a GM, uh, at least one successful full campaign and another one with Brad or with Brent as a GM. So, you know, we know that we could have, we can complete things. So no, I, I guess the short answer is, no, my prep style for the AP is no different than how I would prep for a full-on campaign, you know, with another group. Con prep, yes, that would be a different thing, uh, slightly. Which is what we're going into in a second. Um, I was going to say, I think mine is different is because, like, I think I do more block text or the box text, like we were talking about in the AP. Okay. Because it's, I don't have as much time because we try to keep episodes half an hour to an hour. Okay. And I have more control over where the spotlight points. Sure. <laughs> like we were talking about earlier. But yes, that is actually what I wanted to go into next. Con prep. Because like I said, I have zero experience with this. I'm actually, uh, if fear the con line happens, <laughs> or, fear the, or fear the boot, no pants edition. <laughs> by the time this comes out, it, it will possibly have a name. I'm going to volunteer to run, even though that's an online con. Mm -hmm. And I've run one shots for strangers before, which is kind of what I feel con games are. Yes kind of in similar note, but I have not actually run a game at a con and I have heard stories of you running games at con and apparently you're phenomenal. <laughs> so what do you do in terms of prep? Oh my gosh, I'm, you're making me sweat. Um, I do what I can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's working. The <laughs> for, for me, the way I approach con games is, and I think a lot of it has to do with the type of game that you're going to run. So if you're going to run, well, let's see, what's the best way to say this? I, I think universally, I think all doors should be blown off and wide open. Your total emotional investment sphere is no bigger than four hours. So you absolutely should feel the feel and embrace the desire and the need to just kind of go nuts and do crazy things and allow crazy things to happen. and push some boundaries for what it is you want to do or want to try to accomplish. So if it's a, if it's a serious event, make it very emotionally impactful. If it is comedic in nature, go over the top a little bit and present things in a way that make it come across that way. This, you know, this can be over exaggerated NPCs. I ran a, and I'm actually doing this as a, a swag product uh, plug. I ran essentially a Savage Worlds based 
a quote unquote sequel event to the movie Better Off Dead. So if you've ever seen that movie, it's a John Cusack teen comedy set in the 80s and it's a little bizarre. But um, I had a lot of the characters from the movie in there and the players got to play also main characters from the movie. And a lot of my NPCs were just very, very much over the top. But I did that on purpose to pull the PCs into the game because the movie itself is a little bit outrageous. You don't need to have seen it to have played and enjoyed it. And to that point, I kind of explained that a little bit at the beginning of the event to kind of give those who hadn't seen the movie an idea of this is the overall tone of this event. It's teen 80s comedy uh, with a little bit of super science and just some strangeness, you know, and tried to give them various points of reference as to what was happening um, or to or to draw from. Same thing with I've, when I've run series events. There's one event that I've run. Gosh, I've run this thing like five or six different times. And it's, it's called all good things must be all good things come to a beginning. It's very, very emotionally hard hitting. And I made sure when those things came up to prep the event in such a way that allowed me to take as much advantage of those emotional aspects as possible and really, really hit home when it came time for those things to come up for the players and then thus the characters. And because of that, you know, I was able to get what I wanted out of it and get what I wanted out of the players. And in turn, they also got, they got something out of it when everything was over and done with. Actually, I absolutely love that event. I would run that event from now until the day I die because every time it has been different and it has been a beautiful thing every time, uh, just as far from an emotional standpoint, I've enjoyed it. So tone is important. Tone is very important. Now, how important when you're prepping the session is like the first 20 minutes? Because as someone who hasn't done it, I feel like, I have 20 minutes to get them invested for the next hour. And then after that, they've already been here for an hour. They might as well stay. <laughs> I think it. I think a lot of it has to do with their knowledge of the system. So if they know the system or if they have a passing familiarity with the system, then my basic approach has been to reassure them. Well, and I guess this is true even if they don't know the system, to reassure them that you have these things in your character sheet. Don't worry too much about them. We'll deal with them when they come to them. And then I try, yes, in that first 20 minutes, I try to get them into, uh, into the action, into the mode, into the story as quickly as possible. Now, it doesn't mean it has to be like a combat encounter. It doesn't mean it has to be anything that's heavy dice rolling. Uh, you can go back to the NPC thing, picking on my all good things um, that I mentioned earlier. When you actually start play within the first 10 minutes, you meet this outrageous NPC, but he's designed that way to remind or drive home the fact to the players that all of these characters are actually friends, that they all know each other and that they're familiar with this NPC. So he's very outgoing, very gregarious and he speaks to them as if he's known them for a long time and, and, and says things about them that reference the fact that there is a history here. So I'm pulling them into the story through this NPC. You certainly can do it via a combat encounter if they're familiar with the system, you know, but it should be exciting. Don't turn it into an exercise of math. That sucks. There should be some something that pulls people in immediately and get some invested. And you kind of have a little bit of circumstance on your side because most of the people who are going to be sitting around your table want to be there and they want to have a good time. 
So they're already open to that concept of, I'm here to have a good time. I'm here to do something cool. I liked the description of this event when I read it. I'm excited to try and do this. They'll even give stuff back to you to get into it. They're not dead fish sitting out there. They want to get into it. And so they're, they're more open uh, to that. If, if it's somebody or if it's a group that is unfamiliar with the rules, I will do as brief of an explainer as possible when it comes to mechanics. My Battletech events notwithstanding, because that's something different entirely. That's its own beast. But to, pick on, <laughs> but to pick on Savage Worlds, you know, I might discuss with them, here's your base attributes, and they're tied to certain die types. Here's what those dice are, in case you don't know. When you do anything, you roll that die type and a d6. And I said, you never, ever add them together unless you're rolling for damage. And I emphasize that. And really, when it comes to Savage Worlds, that's about, that might be the extent of what I'll say if they aren't familiar with the rule system. The only other thing I might add is, if you're looking for ways in which to develop the personality of this character, look to your edges and hindrances. Those are role-playing aids in a certain sense. Yes, they have penalties and bonuses, but if you're someone who's arrogant, if you have the arrogant hindrance, and it kind of gives you a hint of maybe how to play this person. If they're heroic, it gives you an idea of how to play this, this character. And then we'll just kind of jump right into it. Maybe I'll have them describe their characters or read a description if I provided one with the pregens. You know, we'll see. A lot of it depends on the mood of the uh, table and how much time you have. I would add that if you're introducing to someone to Savage Worlds, you should also throw in that dice explode. Oh, <laughs> That's yes. the only thing that didn't sound perfect about what you just said. <laughs> Everything else, I'm on board. And you are 100% correct. That is absolutely what you should do. Because if you play Savage Worlds without exploding dice, they're going to walk away. Exactly. Un- and you're they, unimpressed. And then you're not really playing Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing, too, I think I would add, I mean, because most events that you're going to do, they're going to have pre-gens. Unless it is a requirement of the story, leave them, leave everyone gender neutral. And, you know, mm-hmm. don't if you don't want to, don't even put a name or put three or four names on that character sheet and let them decide if it doesn't, you know, because then that way they as a player have some sort of control because it's like, here's the person you're going to play. It's better, I think, to hand them a lump of clay that they can like do some pinching and poking at to make it their lump of clay than something that's completely pre-sculpted. Now, granted, sometimes you have to do that for certain events. My all good things, absolutely. There are very, very strict NPCs, but they're tied intricately to the story, and it's necessary to have them the way that they're there. Other ones I've run before, nah, not ne- not really that necessary. They can they can fall anywhere on a spectrum that you want, and it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I like no names or gender neutral names. Yeah, for for pre written characters, um, some of my favorites are Alex, Parker, Quinn, Charlie. <laughs> you put those down; they can go. They can do whatever they want with them, or Abs- no names. So, yeah. So, like you said, they get control a little control of the character. Absolutely, absolutely. What's the one thing you would want people to take away if they've been not listening and they're just pulling into work and they've just realized that the end of the episode's coming up? What's the one thing you want to sink into their head? For for session prep, the one thing for sure would be prep enough so that your world that the characters are in appears real. That there is that you don't have to break immersion any longer than absolutely necessary, which should be zero to deal with whatever the players throw at you or when they or when they go in a direction that is unexpected 
prep whatever you need to prep to keep that immersion level as real as possible. Mine is going to be, if you're looking at your notes and getting ready to sit down and, and plot your next session and nothing has changed based on the last session your players played, you're doing something wrong. Mm. If, if nothing has changed with player interaction, I, you are missing something or you're refusing something. <laughs> so just double, go back around, look at what you're doing, and try that one, take that one more time. And then for <laughs> con prep. Uh, con prep is go all out, go all out with what you're doing. Remember the time frame and make it as fun of a ride as you possibly can because that's what you're there for. That's what these people are there for. And, and I should have mentioned this earlier, so I'm sorry, I'm just going to take just a touch more time on this. Go that, for it. And this is not meant to put pressure on you as a GM, but it is meant to drive home the importance of making sure that what you give them is fun. A, they want to have fun, but B, they also, they spent money, hard-earned money to come and sit down at your table. So you absolutely need to bring that A game and you are given a license to be a little bit crazier and have more fun with it within reason, but make it as fun as absolutely possible. Chris, if there's people looking for you, trying to hunt you down, where should they go? They can find me. I interact on Twitter mostly, and they can find me at, at the Hussman, all one word. Uh, I am also on the gram, uh, and there I'm on as Obocop. Uh, there's a story behind that, but we won't get into that right now. <laughs> but um, that's that's primarily where I can be found. Twitter mostly. And Discord. If you're on Discord and in any of the Discords that you're in, you're also the Hussman there. I am. I am indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Gaming with Gage. If you have ideas for upcoming guests, want to chat with the cast, or a chance to play in some of our games, you can find our Discord link in the show notes. You can also find the show at facebook.com slash gamingwithgage, and on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at GamingWGage. Your support makes this show a reality week after week. One of the best ways to help out is to leave five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We read all of them, and sometimes we even read them on the air. We look forward to hearing from each and every one of you, but until then, we'll see you next week.